You were never out of the fight. You were created for a time such as this. And you are now preparing to be sent into battle. God is calling you to be his disciple, to be formed in virtue and holiness. He has appointed you as an ambassador of his kingdom. To go and represent him to his people. And he's enlisted you as a soldier of Christ. To be sent out to fight for the good in this world. You are not made to make excuses. It's time for you to take extreme ownership for your life all of your life. It's time to rise up and finally be the man or woman you were created to be. Follow God. Lead others. And never surrender. It is time to begin seeking excellence. What's going on, everybody? This is your boy, Nathan Crankfield, coming at you with another episode of the Seeking Excellence podcast. Great to be with you today. Thanks for listening. Hey, so uh, I've been wanting to record this episode for a long time. You know, when I got into it in that God or Government episode back in the fall with uh, Homegirl on Instagram, you know, I shared kind of our back and forth about some of this stuff, especially focused on how she was like, she said something that was really off, talking about how the church does not condemn socialism. And this is wrong. And one thing as I've been learning more and more about economics over the last five or so months, I really wanted to dive into this um, and really just give people an overview. I know for me, I used to think economics was like the most boring topic imaginable. And now I think it's super, super fun. And so I'm not trying to get into like nitty gritty theoretical classroom stuff with you today. I'm going to talk about this in a way that is fun and engaging and really gives you an overview, not just of the economy um, in, in the way that you think of like boring vocab words you've never heard before, but just some basic stuff about life and how the world should be set up in an ideal way. And not an ideal way as far as like a utopia, right? We're not talking about heaven. I'm talking about in the best way practically possible on this side of heaven, right? With broken and fallen human nature, with the issues that we have, with having a diverse population, um, people who are not all Catholic, right? Like this is not, we're not setting up a society of 500 people in Vatican City. This is uh, for the United States of America. And so we're going to talk a little bit about the United States founding. We're going to talk about some things you haven't really thought of before today, I'm sure, unless you've read some of these documents and things I'm going to be referencing and talking about. I've got a bunch of books. I've got notes from my classes from the leadership program of the Rockies. And it's like, it's all so much that I don't know how to go about it. And I've been thinking about it for a long time. And I'm like, I don't have, because of how much writing and stuff I'm trying to do right now, I don't have the time to sit down for two hours and like craft this so that it's perfect. So I figured, what the hell? I'll just start. If it makes no sense, then I don't know, just delete, unsubscribe from everything seeking excellence and, you know, cancel me from your life, I suppose. Uh, that's Those are your two options. Either this is going to be great or you'll hate me at the end. And either way, I think is a win for you. Um, so, so that's good. 
before we get started and dive in today, uh, I want to encourage you again to join me on Locals. I think Locals is amazing. Um, SeekingExcellence.Locals.com. You'll see the link below. Again, if you join the group, it's just a good thing. Even if you join and then you delete the app from your phone, it's super helpful for us because it helps me to go longer and have more opportunities to live stream. I've been doing my weekly roundups on those. So I, I go through different news articles each and every day and then highlight specific ones at the end of the week that I think are worth knowing, both from the church or from the world. But even more importantly, I share a lot of thoughts and links and articles and YouTube videos and stuff like that, that if you're interested in learning more about these topics, um, and not just economics, but all things seeking excellence, right? So if you're interested in learning more about those things, I'd encourage you to, to join us there. And if you want to become a supporter, you can. That's a great place to go and support the podcast. Again, I'm going to do that uh, for this entire year and kind of see what comes of it. And yeah, there's no guarantee that I'm going to do this forever, especially if it's uh, drain on us personally, financially. Uh, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. It takes a lot of time and dedication. And so uh, it's great to have some reward and some, at least, like I said before, getting to the point where I can at least pay the bills on Seeking Excellence, the, the software and things that we need uh, just to exist um, and, and to pay the people who help me with it. So uh, that's my request for you for today. And with that, with that, <laughs> I just made a weird noise in my mouth. With that, let's talk about the world. If you listened to my episode last week with Ted Delacat, you know that I believe that there's two fundamental ways of looking at the world. If you're wondering more specifically, what I am referring to in our conversation was he talked about the right to healthcare last week. And this is a really common one. And this is something that you hear very, very often is we have this expanding list of human rights. And part of that I think that exists in this idea that we have an expanding list of human rights is, is founded on relativism. And so, uh, you know, I push back when I see things because I believe that what I've gotten a lot better at, especially over the last year, and this is where the God or government, when my debate with this woman, I could see when she was talking about social sin and the way that she was talking about it, just like I could see when Ted was talking about um, healthcare being a human right. Some of these things, as you'll hear me talk about, and you've probably heard me say before, there's a difference between, I call them root, stump, and branch issues or branch thoughts, right? And, and that's to obviously take the, the analogy of a tree. Some things are at the root. They're the fundamentals of the ideology of the belief system. Then you have the stump, right? The actual like core of the tree is kind of the next level. And then you have branches and branches go really, really far out, or some can be tighter, closer to the stump or the center of the tree. Now, I can start to see I've gotten better as I've learned more about thought processes and, and different ways of thinking and viewing the world that I can see um, it's certain branch issues that I disagree with and, and wanting to get back to the fundamentals. And so that's where I start to try to push people back towards because so often we have these like fringe debates and you know that I'm against, against this. I, I think this is very applicable to conversations about evangelization. Sorry, I'm going to have to take a lot of drinks today. For some reason, my throat's just kind of messing me up. I'm not sick, but I'm like, you know, feeling, I don't know, just kind of weird. Just like that wintertime, yeah, uh, funk to a certain degree. But anyways, back to evangelization. I, I say this all the time, right? Don't argue with somebody about why uh, Protestants can't receive communion at, at Mass, right? Like, that's a silly argument to have. What we want to get back to is authority. Where does authority come from? Is this the true presence? And where does authority come from? If it is a true presence, then it makes sense why you can't receive communion. A lot of Protestants approach that and they think because to them, it's just like, yeah, it's just something you do. It's not anything substantial. And so because they think that, 
then they're like, why can't why can't we all do it? Like it's not that big of a deal. You're just being exclusionary, and that's not the case. But if you um, get to the root of the issue, which is John chapter six and the sacrament of the Eucharist, then it starts to make more sense, and you're starting to understand why the the branch um, teachings are what they are, right? Because they're founded in this rooted system. The roots being that the Catholic Church had Catholic Church has authority. Oh my goodness. And so when he was talking about that, when he says that, you know, and this is not a, a Ted thing. He did. <laughs> I don't think that he came up with this. I think he's really intelligent, but healthcare being a human right is something that far precedes him. Um, and it's one, I would say, of all the kind of expanding lists of human rights, from abortion is a human right to uh, healthcare is a human right to minimum wages, working livable wages are a human right to um, immigration is a human right to trying to think of all the other things, uh, free health, free education, education is a human right, college is a human right, right? Like everything that, that, that people want in today's world, they want to say is a human right. Why? Because we don't feel as though we can take away anybody's rights, which is a good thing because you can't take away somebody's rights morally. There's no moral case for taking away somebody's basic human rights. The, the, the flaw in the logic lies in believing that all of these different things are human rights. There's no, there's no actual logical basis for that. And if you press people on it, a lot of times they don't understand why they think that. And they're just saying it because it's become popular. It's become popularized by people who profit and benefit from those things being included in human rights, right? Planned Parenthood wants abortion to be considered a human right because they profit immensely off of providing abortions for people. And so if they can increase the access to that by convincing the public that this is a human right, that health it's it's healthcare and that healthcare is a human right or the abortion itself is a human right regardless of whether or not it's healthcare then they're going to they're going to thrive and they're going to profit which is really interesting so going back to why i believe that healthcare is a human right which again is the most popular one i think amongst catholics um is is misinformed this goes back to the two fundamental ways that i believe that we view the world and those are some of us believe that our rights come from god and some of us believe that our rights come from the government. And um, if you listen to that podcast episode, you basically can hear Ted give his explanation as to why he believes that he doesn't explicitly say, if I recall correctly, that rights do come from the government. But he basically says that we collectively decide what our rights are, which if you think of we, the people, the government is supposed to represent us. That's that's essentially the same thing in my view. He may disagree with it, and I'd be happy to have him back on to explain his part. This is not. None of this episode is meant to be a criticism of Ted Elka or his stances. I mean, I guess it will be of some of his stances because I think that he'll agree with some of this stuff that I'm going to be pushing against. Um, but it's just a recent example of a conversation that many of you have heard. And so you think about relativism, right? This, this is why it's relativist or the definition of progressive to believe that our, our rights change and evolve over time that we can add to or take away from that list of human rights. Where those of us who believe that rights come from God believe that these human rights are timeless. I believe that I have the same basic human rights that Adam and Eve had in the garden, that Abraham had, that King David had, that uh, St. Peter had, that George Washington had, that people a thousand years from now will have. I don't think that they evolve or change. I don't think that we have the right or the ability to add or detract from them. And I believe that this is the, the belief of our founders. And so the, this is why it was so radical, you know, and I want to take us back today to think about 
life in the beginning of time, because this is where, and I think I explained this a little bit last week, where a lot of my logic on this stuff comes from. My, my basic logic, to skip ahead a little bit, why is healthcare not a human right? Because you can't have a basic human right that doesn't exist all of the time. Human rights are universal. They apply to all people at all times. Adam and Eve in the garden, if Adam dislocated his shoulder, who, who was it that he had the right to have healthcare from? Eve? Like, was she, was, did he have the right to force her upon, like, beating her to, like, to, to tend to his shoulder, even if she had no idea what to do or how to do it, right? And so when you think about it, it ex- like, he had the right to life, to liberty, to the pursuit of happiness, or his property rights, I think all, going all the way back to then, um, to when they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. I guess I, could, I should say that human rights probably did change after the Garden of Eden, because back then there was no need to even discuss something like this, because things were perfect. And so maybe that would be my one correction. Human rights started as they got kicked out of the garden. But even as, you know, think of Noah in Noah's time. If Noah, yeah, cut open his leg, who does he have the right to force to work on his leg and to operate on him? Nobody, right? And if nobody knows how to do it, then you can't have a right to that thing if it doesn't exist. And that's where you'll get into uh, healthcare, where you get into like basic incomes and things like that. And we talk about minimum wage. You don't have a right to things that don't naturally exist because then if, when they start to disappear, right? If, if people just stopped going to medical school, how do we continue to have a, a, a human right to healthcare if there's nobody to provide it? And so that's, th- that kind of gives you a glimpse of what I'm talking about. Taking you back through world history, understand that going back to the time of Christ, almost everything was just like life was nasty, brutish, and short, right? For the most part. Um, people lived under tyranny. There was almost always an empire. If you remember anything from history class, from world history, all of history was basically empires taking over other empires, right? And, and there would be kings or emperors or pharaohs who basically ran everything that, that they could see. And if it wasn't that, then even here in, in the indigenous people here in the U.S., um, in the Americas in general, you had tribes that were just doing the same thing to each other in Africa, tribes that were just taking over each other, warring over each other because of their limited resources and the scarcity that they either perceived or that may have existed in their area when it came to the natural resources, right? When it came to food and water and who had the right to do these things. Not only that, but if you had the ability to force people into slavery, which a lot of these empires did, I think the vast majority of them did, then you had the ability to uh, make life better for your people. So there was this obvious preference towards your own people and you wanted to improve life for them. Um, and so the way you did that was conquering other people. That's that's what happened perpetually, essentially. That it, it, it was nonstop. This idea of, uh, you know, in the, in the Jewish tradition, obviously, like throughout Israel, you had better cultures and systems amongst them but still, they were enslaving other people and being enslaved and going back and forth, right? It was just still this constant struggle. Christianity, you know, ex- expanded this, this idea of the chosen people out from the, um, the Israelites to the greater world. Everybody could be a son or daughter of God. Everybody was made to understand not just Jews were made in the image of likeness of God. And so we understood human value in a much different way. And so that took a long time to start to kind of take effect. But we start to kind of see how that was working, right? But you still had in most countries, you know, in you think of even when, you know, 1492, when uh, the Americas were discovered, quote unquote, um, 
you you had we had what like 200 years where we considered to live live under uh, a kingdom right you considered to live under an empire uh it was imperialistic in nature right and so it wasn't until the the revolution of the united states that we really start to see uh things start to change you think of the french revolution was somewhat similar although theirs was a little bit more off i think but I want to read the beginning of the Declaration of Independence because I think that it really gets to the heart of this, where you understand that for, for almost all of human history, people were subjects or slaves or serfs, or they didn't have rights, but the, the government didn't care. There, there, weren't, there were still some democracies, but even those democracies were very exclusive to who had rights and to who was able to do things and vote and all that stuff. But the Declaration of Independence changed a lot. So I'm going to read this a little bit. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them. A, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. Okay, so taking a break at that paragraph, you can hear there um, that you see the separate and equal station. So saying that we, we have the right and we have the, the duty almost to, to be separate and equal from this government that is overpowering us. And so that's obviously Great Britain at the time. And it says, to, to the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and nature's God entitle them. So there you have this agnostic approach, right? It doesn't say the Christian God, it doesn't say the Muslim God, it doesn't say the Jewish God, it doesn't say uh buddha or confucius or any it doesn't you know say anybody specifically it just says kind of this agnostic approach to god which at this point we're, we're down with that right like you can say okay we all believe that there's a creator um or you know the the guys who signed this say there's a creator and we all have human rights given to us by him and so it says that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation and that's what this document is about and this is what it says next. The, the line that we all know, everybody knows except for Joe Biden. Um, oh, you, you, you know the thing. Yeah. Anyways, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. Now, there's another important point there, right? You hear these, these unalienable rights. You'll see that there's not 37 of them, right? He lists three. A lot of people believe, and we believe, you know, for the most part, that in that pursuit of happiness had largely, was, was largely a replacement for property rights. And he had debated, and I think there was different... Um, versions of like the original drafts and stuff where it said life, liberty, and property. Um, and I, I can't remember. Somebody recently told me why he changed it to the pursuit of happiness, but I can't recall what it was. Just to make it a little bit broader, I think, than just property specifically. But property was kind of formed under that umbrella. Now, the other key part to this was deriving their just powers from the consent of the government. So the government actually gets its power from us, right? And so if you think about it, this is, this is a huge difference, again, going back to the people who believe that rights come from God or from the government, that those of us who believe our rights come from God, you could basically look at our hierarchy as being God, us, and the government, right? Now, us Catholics would say that we have God, the church, us, and then the government. 
I, I think that that's how I believe that I, I, that's not like church teaching or anything. I don't know that anybody's ever given this hierarchy, but that's how I would view it. Right. If the government gets its power from us, right. We are a part of the church. We are definitely underneath the church and the church is underneath God. That seems just like the most logical way to look at it. Now juxtapose that with the way that at least it's, it appears from everything that I've heard and read from the other side is that you have people who believe that our rights come from the government, which is at the top, the common good and all that good kind of stuff is at the top, society is at the top. We would be next, and then religion would be underneath us because we should change church teaching. Church has to catch up with the times. Church needs to change to adapt and fit us. And you see in a lot of Protestantism them doing just that. They change and adapt the church to be whatever it is that they want it to be. You see how it's government affecting the people that affects the, their religion, right? That's the way that it flows for a lot of people. And anytime you drive by a church that has a BLM and a pride flag out in front of it, that's a, that's what you're seeing, right? It's it's the government, society, the culture, then them, and then they get to decide what religion should look like. That's the the flipping. Now understand how massive that is to under to to think that at least in the back back in the day we had God, us, and the government, right? That was kind of the order. We Catholics, we slide the church in there in the, in the middle between us and, and God. And I don't mean that in a way that like Protestants will take it out of context to say, oh, like we need a mediator between us and God. That's not what I mean. I mean that in order to allow us to continue to adapt and thrive and, and understand how to live life and to interpret scripture and to have the sacraments, yes, we believe that the church is kind of the mediator to an extent between us and God, here on earth, at least it's representative, right? It, that's why we call the Pope the Vicar of Christ. The Vicar is the person who, when the king was out of town or out of commission, would be in charge left there. Jesus Christ has physically left the earth, and he's left the Pope in charge, and all the popes who have continued, all the bishops in charge to kind of continue things, right? But it doesn't mean we can't go connectly to God, uh, directly to God, but there is kind of that need for mediation. If you think about just like, I can't create the Eucharist. I need a priest to do that, right? I can't go to confession to myself. I need a priest to do that. And this isn't a debate on church authority. So I'm just going to leave that there. So this is where we're at. Now, I believe, and, and one thing that I think is really important in this is that you have to have at least an agnostic approach to faith to believe this. I think that it's... um kind of ridiculous to believe this is this is where i get into like really difficult moments because i think this is going to be convicting this entire thing on obviously progressives who believe that the government is at the top but then also um a lot of non-religious conservatives i don't think that it really makes sense i don't know how you can believe this without a faith i, I mean agnostic maybe atheist absolutely not and this is why atheists can't support this kind of stuff it doesn't make any rational sense. You can be an atheist and vote Republican. I'm not saying you can't do that. Even if you just like maybe the economic principles that they, you know, a lot of them will say, oh, I'm social, socially liberal, but um, this is a libertarian approach a lot of times. I'm socially liberal, but I uh, um, am economically conservative. You see a lot of rich Democrats saying this, especially on TV. I think of like a Stephen A. Smith, for example. Um. But when you think about that, yeah, yeah, you can't be atheist and believe that God's at the top. Like, you can't, if you don't believe in creator, if you don't believe in nature, nature's God, right? If you don't believe that we're endowed by our creator, if you don't believe in the creator, you can't believe we're endowed by our creator with unalienable rights. It doesn't make any sense. So 
that it has to be, I think that it follows last week when talking to Ted, that if he doesn't believe in a creator, then you would believe what else is going to, something's going to be at the top of your, your, your hierarchy. You know, Carl Jung talks about this, Jordan Peterson talks about it a lot, that we all have some God and we all have some religion. Um, it's just, God is just whatever's at the top of your hierarchy. And for a lot of people in today's world, the top of the hierarchy is the government. And so the government has become their God. So as they go about this, right, when you're thinking about freedom, if we're, if we're, uh, you know, endowed by our creator with unalienable rights for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, understand again, what kind of system are we going to create as we're starting this new country? This is when capitalism really started to thrive. And if you know, if you remember from the beginning, I shared all those different stats of how much life changed from our uh, life expectancy to our, you know, the literacy rates to, um, wait, where was that slide? I'm trying to bring it up to so many different things in, in the ways that the world has improved, right? Since the, the year 1800, essentially. And so if you look at it, um, let me see here. This is being difficult. There we go. The people living in democracy, the percentage of people living in a democracy, right? If you think about the percentage of people from 1820 to 2020 living in extreme poverty. Um, in, in 1820, only six people were not living in extreme poverty. In 2015, 90 people were not living in extreme poverty. 90%, right? This is the world, if the world was 100 people, right? Over the last two centuries. I mean, it's absolutely wild. Education skyrocketing, literacy skyrocketing, child mortality decreasing, vaccination increasing immensely. And so you see the, these immense benefits because what did we do here? We started to base a society around these principles that you have the right to life, the right to liberty, the right to the pursuit of happiness. And yes, we did not as a society apply those to all people. We did not provide equality for women. We did not provide equality for uh, black people, for Asians, for a lot of different people back then. I mean, even this is un underestimated, but how much, you know, Irish and Italians and Germans hated each other back then when they were in the United States. People were still very, very tribal. It took time for this philosophy to really enter into the hearts and minds of men and for us to adapt this to say, okay, we're all created equal. We can live amongst each other as equals so long as we have life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Now, what kind of goes along with that, right? If I'm going to set up my world where we're going to honor this, we do need a government. This isn't like some anarchist approach, right? Like you do have to have some type of government. Capitalist, when you think of a free society, a free market society, some people criticize and say, well, you're just against all government. That's not true. We have to have some government because you have to have law and order. You have to have like national defense. There are some things that the government is best suited for where we can come together and we say, we're going to vote for representatives who are going to manage this stuff for us. They're going to manage the, the funds and all these different things. But by and large, it, it should be, as we read in the Constitution, as we read in the Declaration of Independence, they should have very specific and controlled powers. They should have very specific roles and responsibilities and duties. And it should be really hard for them to get stuff done, which is why we have the checks and balances, right? Because tyrannies, uh, tyrannies are able to make decisions really fast, right? Authoritarianism and, and authoritarian regimes are able to make decisions really fast because it's just one person controlling everything. And that's why things go to shit so fast. But 
Instead, we're like, okay, we're going to have these checks and balances and we're going to have this judicial system. We're going to have police. We're going to have a military. We're going to set things up to allow people to thrive. And we, and, and that system, those philosophies, I need you to understand this, have created the most prosperous, diverse, um, best society that has ever existed. Has ever existed. One thing I, I listened to recently was talking about how, um, you know, we, we hear all this, this negative stuff about imperialism coming from the West, especially coming from the U.S. The U.S. could take over almost the entire world. It's, it's pretty amazing that we didn't. I think, I think people don't understand that enough. To, to say how evil and awful America is, every country in the history of the world, had, had any other empire or country ever been as dominant as the U.S. was, especially in their continent and the continent below them, they would have taken over all of it. Every country ever has expanded. We are like the only one that like we got to the edge of our borders and we're like, yo, we're pretty much good here. And now we just want to trade with other countries. That doesn't mean that we went undefeated. That doesn't mean that we haven't interfered and sometimes inappropriately and wrongly and immorally in other countries. But like we could just take over all of South America and we just don't. (laughs) People people don't get that. That's insane. We could take over all of North America and we just don't. We just let them vibe. Not only do we just let them vibe, but we actually protect the other places. Not only could we take over France, but we actually like go and remove the Nazis from France so that they can continue to be free. Think about this. We were at war with Japan in World War II. They started off our time in World War II with Pearl Harbor, attacking a U.S. military base. We destroyed them, effed them up, right? We were just like, you have made a horrible mistake. We're going to whoop your ass and show you why we could take over the entire world if we wanted to. We did that. Then we helped them install a democracy. We helped them create a constitution that looked almost exactly like ours. They instituted a capitalistic society. And even though they have almost no natural resources in Japan, it's one of the most thriving economies in the world. And they're one of our greatest allies now. To look at a nation who would do that, who would get shit on by a country, then have to F them up to end a world war, and then wouldn't just leave them in ruins, but would actually help them to build and start a, a constitution and a new government that would be just and provide protection for the rights of the people, and then start to trade with them and become allies with them over time. Does that sound like a country that's inherently racist and evil and immoral? And this, this herein lies the problem. This is why I'm going back to the beginning, right? Going back to thinking about what life was like in villages right, and tribes, and even in 1776, is because one of the biggest problems we have in our world today when it comes to approaching economics and all these things is we believe that shit was just always like this. And it is, it is just incomprehensible to me how we believe this. This goes back to my first example. We believe, so many of us believe that healthcare is a human right because we just we just think that it has always existed and it always will exist. These beautiful state-of-the-art hospitals that we have, we're like, we have the best healthcare in the world, the best doctors, the best surgeons, the best medical equipment in the world. And we believe that it should just be there and it should just be free. And it would always be there. And as I've been reading books like Atlas Shrugged and some of these economic books and things like that, that is one of the primary mistakes 
and philosophical flaws that people make is that you believe that things just were always there. And so I want to go into uh, this next example real quick, um, which, which comes from this, this essay written called I Pencil. So you may have read it before. If you'd like to read it, I'm definitely going to link it so you can read it sometime. But let's, let's take a look at this. iPencil is extremely interesting to me. It's basically as if a pencil was writing you a letter, right? So it's kind of goofy at first, but over time you start to be like, oh shit, I kind of get where this is going, right? And it says that, uh, it, it kind of starts off with this quote from G.K. Chesterton that says, we are perishing for want of wonder, not for want of wonders. So we have no wonder, right? W-O-N-D-E-R. We, we're lacking in that, right? We don't wonder about things. Where does this come from, right? And this is one of the biggest problems with social media and TV and our just constant noise in our lives is that we never wonder about things anymore. I remember a comedian kind of remarking on this and it's like, if you ever think of like, I don't know if it was a comedian, maybe it was like a Catholic speaker or something, but they were like, I wonder what year, you know, Elvis died. It was some, it was some other celebrity, but let's say Elvis. And they were like, every time you think of something like that, you just look up your phone, right? You just Google it immediately. You immediately have the answer. But we never wonder about things. We never try to figure it out. Well, I think he was alive during this time. or We never, never like wonder about anything. And this is the point here, is that we have a ton of things that we should wonder about because there's so many miraculous and incredible things that we have. But we're, we're failing and we're deteriorating as a society because we, we fail to actually wonder about it. And so this whole thing is about a pencil. Have you ever wondered how a pencil is made? Have you ever really thought about it? Um, it's incredible. It's incredible to think about. I've never thought about it before. That's for sure. But he basically goes on to talk about all the different things in all the different places and countries and companies that are required to create a pencil. For example, I want you to read the whole thing, but I'm going to read this paragraph to you. Um, it's, it's talking about the invisible hand. And this is the invisible hand that's created once you have a society and societies in the world, even better, that start to acknowledge human rights to life, liberty, property, the pursuit of happiness. You naturally start to have free trade, right? We start to see that, hey, uh, you know, Bob makes bread and uh, Debbie sews the clothes and Jim makes, uh, uh, you know, shoes. And they start to trade with each other, right? And then many, many years ago, but it was corrupted and messed up. But, you know, at some point as trade was happening, um, people were like, why don't we use a, a third thing, right? So instead of just trading bread for shoes, why don't we have this third thing that we can trade and it would have its value in and of itself and you can use it to trade with other people for other things. And they called that thing money. So if you think about it, there was even money back in the time of Jesus, right? But the Roman Empire did not respect people's rights, right? So yes, trade existed back then. Uh, money existed back then as a, mean, uh, as a store of value, as a mean of trading with people, a means of trading with people. But, but they didn't have rights protected, and so the, the, the society wasn't actually built and structured around human rights. 
And this is one of the key things I think is so important about understanding what capitalism is, as our founders created a society based on it, is it's not just an economic system, it's actually a social system. And it's a social system based on human rights, of life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, of human equality, of equal protection under the law, of freedom of speech, of freedom of assembly, of freedom of trade. So it's not government telling you who you can and cannot trade with. It's not government telling you that they're going to take half or the majority of your income, as you see like in the Roman Empire and places like that where people were just overburdened with taxes constantly. That's not what it is. But as you start to trade and as you start to have this kind of third you know, store of value, so I don't have to just say, okay, you already, if I'm the shoemaker and you're the bread maker and I want bread every day and you want shoes, it's like, well, how do we kind of figure that out? But when we have money, then I can charge $20 for a pair of shoes and I can buy 50 cents worth of bread for the next whatever, you know? And so that's what money starts to do. Now, as that starts to happen, you have people increasingly specializing, right? So back in the day, you had people that were just like, you know, Renaissance men, they were doing all these different jobs because they had to, right? If they're in these small villages, you had to have seven different jobs. But then over time, the invisible hand is what's known as um, that kind of force that brings all these things together with, without anybody actually managing it, right? And so you have um, people, as you'll see here, doing all these different jobs to bring the pencil together. And so here's a paragraph here. I pencil am a complex combination of miracles, a tree, zinc, copper, graphite, and so on. But to these miracles which manifest themselves in nature, an even more extraordinary miracle has been added. The configuration of creative human energies, millions of tiny know-hows configurating naturally and spontaneously in response to human necessity and desire, and in the absence of any human masterminding. Since only God can make a tree, I insist that only God can make me. Man can no more direct these millions of know-hows to bring me into being than he can put molecules together to create a tree. So this, this is what I'm talking about here. If you think about all the things that, are, that go into this. And so he talks about, you know, people who work in the oil, like think about the machines, right? So you have the people who are harvesting the trees people who are kind of forming the trees and actually making the wood of the pencil, people who find the lead to be in the pencil, the zinc, the copper, even think about the little metal that's uh, you know around the eraser, the, the coloring that goes on the outside of it, right? Shipping all these things back and forth, the oil that's needed to drive the machines. Think about the individual parts of every machine that's used to cut down the tree, to create the, you know, to craft the copper and do all these different things. All of those, I mean, it's, Millions of people that have taken apart, right? If you think about the people who made the nuts and bolts on the machines, think about the ships and the trucks that move them around the country, the gas and the, the ingenuity that has gone into making the engines of the trucks and the, the seat that the guys, think about how many parts are in the seat of the truck driver that he's sitting on just to drive the pencils across the country. But for the pencil to get from non-existence to you, with all these different people who specialize and, and kind of have a touch on it along the way, it's absolutely incredible. Um, so you can, you can start to kind of see this. Now, now he goes on to say, once government has had a monopoly, monopoly of a creative activity, such, for instance, as the delivery of males, most individuals will believe that the males could not be officially delivered by men acting freely. This is one of the biggest things I'm talking about 
is that the government starts to slowly, and, and basically what has happened throughout U.S. history, the government started to slowly take over certain things, certain industries. And we just imagine that that's always how it has to be. That's always how it's been. And that that's the best way and the most efficient way for things to be done. Mail is a great example of this. I think education is another great example of this. We believe that if there weren't, no, if there weren't government schools, that people wouldn't um, have, have government. But, but explain to me how that works for anything else. If there isn't government-provided food, we still continue to have food and we still continue to eat. If there isn't government-provided health care, pe- most people still had health care before that, right? And, and you can talk about healthcare is a tricky one because you can get into all kinds of stuff of how government subsidies actually skyrocket the cost of healthcare versus actually bringing it down to where people can actually afford it. Because having healthcare that's too expensive for anyone to afford doesn't make any capitalistic sense because you don't make any profit on it. The, the, one of the main reasons why healthcare is so expensive is because of the fact that we have so many government subsidies that actually skyrocket the prices. But alas, you think about all these different ways in which we kind of forget that these things actually can happen without. Now, this is something that's really interesting. He goes on further to talk about how this is exactly what I'm talking about. Um, it says, if I pencil were the only item that could offer testimony on what men and women can accomplish when free to try, then those with little faith would have a, a fair case. However, there is testimony galore. It's all about us and on every hand. Mail delivery is exceedingly simple when compared to, for existence, the making of an automobile or a calculating machine or a grain combine, combine or a milling machine or t- tens of thousands of other things. Delivery? Why, in this area where men have been left free to try, they deliver the human voice around the world in less than one second. They deliver an event visually and in motion to any person's home when it is happening. They deliver 150 passengers from Seattle to Baltimore in less than four hours. They deliver gas from Texas to one's range or, or, or furnace in New York at unbelievably low rates and without subsidy. They deliver each four pounds of oil from the Persian Gulf to our eastern seaboard halfway around the world for less money than the government charges for delivering a one ounce letter across the street. Why is that? Because it's this fundamental principle that you are wasteful when it comes to spending other people's money. It's inefficient and it's wasteful. And we see this time and time again with the government being involved and controlling different things because they just don't care as much as you do. And this education is a great example of that. When parents are involved, when parents are paying not just through their property taxes for their kids to go to school, but paying for their kids to go to school, paying their educators, then they actually care. And they're actually going to find the best teachers. They're going to find the best schools. And they have so much more control over what's being taught and what's happening in the schools. So this is why I think iPencil is so important and why I encourage you to read it. When you, it goes into detail, and, and it's kind of interesting, the, the absolute detail it goes into about all the different things that, are, that take place for a pencil to be created. Now, if you think about all the different things in the world, you can, you can start to understand as you read this how foolish it is for us to look at New York City, for us to look at downtown Manhattan and be like, this just happened. This just spontaneously happened. And to not look at all of that as an absolute miracle. To not look at the fact that I am looking, I am speaking to all of you from my home in a previously recorded podcast 
that I recorded on my MacBook Air with an additional screen attached to it in my heat and, you know, AC controlled house. It's, I mean, it's just unreal, right? I live better in this house. I have more food in this house than, than a king had, you know, two, 300 years ago, 400 years ago. It's unreal. And so we've come a long way. And I think we need to start to appreciate that. And so let's talk a little bit more. We're going to get into some of these other ways in which, um, yeah, we start to build up this society and what this looks like. And then I'm going to talk a little bit more, too, about what the Catholic take on capitalism is and a little bit more details about what capitalism looks like and how it's played out in our society from Reagan to Jimmy Carter to all those different things. And so we'll look at that here as well. But that's going to be all for today. So thank you for tuning into today's episode. Uh, I clearly realized as I got 45 minutes in and you know, maybe a third through what I wanted to talk about that this is going to have to be uh, a several part series on this kind of big picture of financial excellence. So thanks for listening today. I hope that it was helpful for you. I hope that you learned something about economics and the way the world works, uh, or at least the way the world should work. But we're going to be looking deeper into all those different topics I just mentioned. So I hope you'll stay tuned for those upcoming episodes. And uh, yeah, subscribe to the podcast if you would be so generous as to leave us a five-star review. That would be super helpful as well. And just want to point out, because I just remembered this, is number 200. This is episode number 200. So incredible, you know, mind-blowing to me that, that I've managed to talk that much. But I'm super grateful for all of you for listening. Uh, very grateful for, you know, the, the positive feedback. Grateful for the negative feedback I've received. And I know that as I get into talking about more of these uh, types of topics that I think are really, really important and really do impact our day-to-day lives and, you know, our morality and, and really impact how much we're letting um, our, our faith influence our view of the world and view of how society should look. Um, I know that you're going to get, I'm going to get more negativity and more um, negative feedback and stuff like that. So anticipate that and understand that as you go on this journey as well, if you start to you know, be open-minded and, and find yourself pursuing the truth. And if you start to be bold about sharing the truth with other people, you too are going to experience that negative feedback. But alas, that's what life is all about. You know, we're, we're here to, to be our best and to fight for the truth and fight for what's good in this world. And so I hope that Seeking Excellence continues to be a, a force for good in your life and that it inspires you to um, really see what potential is possible in your life and to make the the intentional steps towards um, towards that potential. And so that's what we're here for. Thank you for listening. I do want to mention as well that we have um, our next speaking opportunity. If you're anywhere in the Northeast, I will be, it's not my next, next speaking event, but it is coming up and I have uh, some information on it that I'll be putting below into the show notes. But I'm speaking at the, this is specifically for men, but the men's conference in the Archdiocese of Baltimore. And so that's going to be really, really fun. That's coming up here in March. Um, trying to look up the exact date right now. That's going to be March 25th in Baltimore. And so really excited to be there for that. Um, I'll put the, the registration link and everything below, but would love to have you there. If you're a man that listens to this podcast in the Northeast, um, we'll be super pumped to, to have you there and get to spend some time with you. Uh, and I know I've got a couple of listeners who are going to be there, so I'm really excited for that. But God bless you. Continue to fight hard and be your best.